Hey, folks, Tom and Keith thanking you for tuning in each and every week to listen to Front Row Knowles via the podcast. And a special thank you to the folks at the Dunlap Champions Club for their continued support of this podcast. A great place to watch Florida State ball game. a great place to have a good time. Remember, you can access the club on Friday night. You can go there on Saturday. You can repeat it on Sunday, an entire weekend of events. Whether it's for personal fandom or if you want to entertain clients, employees, social groups, uh, there's different packages available. You can get a single game uh, ticket experience as well and just sample it uh, at one game this year. Some new features, too, uh, from year one. They've got misters and fans in there, and they also are really emphasizing uh, flavorful food, but with a local connection, local tie, expanded food opportunities. John Rivers of Four Rivers will be in there preparing. Uh, also, you can get Bradley sausage for those of you that remember that. How, how do I get more information? They can get more information by calling uh, 850-644-1830, option one, or you can visit fsuclubseats.com. Thanks again to them and enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. We welcome you to the latest edition of Front Row Knowles. Tom and Keith with you. Keith, you remember back in the dog days of summer in June and July? I do. August, when we were pining for football season. And didn't have anything to talk about. My gosh, wouldn't it be great when football season got here and we would have something to talk about? We just didn't think it would be this that we were talking about. Slight miscalculation. But, oh, by the way, football season is here. And the bizarre season is 2017 continues from the GOAT game to the 21-day layoff to the disaster that was NC State. So my emotions have been a roller coaster. I just told you I went off the Twitter grid for about 24 hours because Mama always taught me if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Plus, there's not an untweet button on there, so <laughs> which is what gets lots of folks in trouble. Exactly. So I just decided to swallow that for a little bit. But uh, my emotions have been sort of up and down all over the place. Obviously, you've got the lunatic fringe that thinks uh, we should start from scratch and fire everybody. Then you've got uh, probably the side we're a little closer to, given our roots with FSU, which is the everything will work out fine. And as always, the Somewhere truth is in, in the, the middle. middle. The truth is in the middle. So how are, how are you holding up as we have reached hump day? Well, I, I'm disappointed. Disappointed in some of our fan base that have so quickly gone to the to the lunatic fringe, I think, as you called it. Uh, although occasionally I find myself thinking those thoughts, I just don't say them out loud. Um, I think the two observations, and you and I talked uh, when we were we were taping our Sunday show, and we talked a little bit. Uh, we actually had a, a, about a three minute uh, show prep conversation yesterday. The the two things that jump out at me, and I'll just throw those out. We'll develop, and as the show progresses, is number one. When we talk about the coaches, I'm 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 not one that says you fire anybody during the season. Um, but I do think that we need to recognize that we've got two two things happening with this coaching staff that maybe haven't been talked about as much. Number one, on both sides of the ball, you have nobody challenging the coordinator. Jimbo, the coordinator on offense. Nobody on that side of the ball is going to challenge Jimbo and say that's a bad idea. We should. You're talking do that. about in prep and prep for the game. Yeah, leading up during the week. No, nobody's challenging Jimbo. That that's just not good um, long term job security. And the same thing with Kelly. 
Contrast that with other staffs that you and I have been around, I think most notably of Mickey Andrews when he was a defensive coordinator. I mean, he had Chuck Amata in his ear all the time going, well, let's try this, let's try that. That didn't work. Remember we did this and it didn't work. Remember we did that and it did work. And there was chirping going on back and forth. And that, to me, is a healthy thing. I don't believe that's happening on this staff on either side of the ball. In other words, point-counterpoint. Correct. Secondly, remember after the 13 season, you had six coaches leave after the 12 season is when most of them left oh i'm sorry after the 12 season, yeah. you had six coaches leave other schools wanted them nobody wants anybody on this staff now that's a harsh harsh statement but you don't have any schools clamoring to come in and steal an fsu assistant coach and that simply tells me that one of two things. Number one, they're they're on the downward slide of their of their um, career, or they individually need to reinvent themselves. There's just a complacency, not in terms of effort. I would never ever suggest that this staff is lazy or complacent. Jimbo will not tolerate that, or not football knowledgeable, or knowledgeable, but creativity and change and and trying got- new ideas. I don't see that happening. One thing I want to add where I think there's a deficiency, but to the point about guys not moving around, you know, you and I don't know, is the phone ringing for him or is it not? But I would suggest, and this would be the counterpoint to what you just said, that coaches are paid a lot more dollars nowadays, and they may not be refreshing their resume quite as frequently as they used to, because you know what, at the end of the day, Florida State's a pretty good place to be. Now, that doesn't answer all of it, but I mean, those guys are paid pretty well for what they do. And and that's a valid as you said, counterpoint. I accept here, 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 here's what I was going to say. I, it's not Jimbo is incredibly knowledgeable about football. All the guys on the staff know football. To me, this goes back to some of the concerns last year a little bit about the communication to the players. So, i.e., is the process broken? It's not that they don't know football. It's not that they don't know X's and O's. It's not that they can't break down tape. But if the players are making the same mistakes over and over again, and it, it and I know it is a different player. Sometimes it's not always the same guy. But if we're seeing repeated patterns there, why is that happening? And if the coach knows what to do and it's not getting communicated to the player in a, in a form where the player responds accordingly. Then let's let's tighten some things up. Instead of having 100 options, let's have 75 options. You and I talked yesterday, and, and I don't know who invented this term. If you're, but if we have to, dang it, let's just out-athlete them. Because we got athletes. Let's don't out-schematic them. If you let's pl- don't out-scheme them. Let's out-athlete them. So let's let's condense things a little bit and run those plays well. If you were a restaurant, don't try to be good at 100 items on the menu if 10 is what you do best. I mean, that's sort of what you're saying. And I think that's where some of the frustration comes in. Now, at some point... And we'll have our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, join us. We're going to talk with Rogers Redding, who is a national coordinator of officials that's been on the show before because there obviously were quite a few calls that Florida State folks were not happy with. But you know what? You know when we didn't complain about officials? When Florida State was beating everybody 51-12 to in 2013. You know when you complain about officials? When you're making mistakes that keep other teams in ball games, and at the end of the day, a couple calls don't go your way, and guess what? You're on the wrong side of the scoreboard. But I will say this. The 21-day layoff didn't help. Though James Blackman is not to blame, in my opinion, for this. Not at all. It was a true freshman quarterback. And when you look at the offense, 
we knew Dalvin Cook was gone, but you just basically since the Michigan game, you're replacing the best running back in school history. You're replacing your starting quarterback in Deandre Francois, and then you're replacing early in the third quarter the best offensive weapon this team has so far, and that's Auden Tate, who scored the only two touchdowns. So the offense is going to get fixed. And oh, by the way, Alabama is pretty good, and NC State, though we begrudgingly admit it, and we're not going to be surprised if NC State stubs its toe down the road. They're not a bad football team. How about a stat that nobody's thought about? I just saw it that talks about the change in at least the ACC. For the first time in history, Wake Forest and Duke are 4-0 to start a season. Well, that's not helping our feelings right now. My point simply being, it's a different world out there. When you talk about parity, I mean, you can't look at NC State and expect to beat them 9 out of 10 times anymore. Or 10 out of 10 times, like a lot well, of our fan base thinks. That's why You're I just not going to do that anymore. And the same thing for Duke, and to a degree, the same thing for Wake. Of course, we saw Wake have some pretty good years in, in 06, 07, 08, whenever that time frame was with, with them, with Coach Grobe. But... You can't expect to roll out there and beat every ACC opponent 59-7 to anymore. That world is gone. And welcome to reality. And here we are. That restaurant illustration that I shared a little while ago, you know what they do at Centrale? They put about 10 to 15 items on the menu, and they do them right. It's Italian. Go visit our folks uh, down there. Tell Matt we sent them. Uh, his direction. By the way, Sodo, which is their Midtown concept, officially opens on Saturday. Big donuts. Yes. Yeah, so if that doesn't make you feel better, Big just, donuts. just go ahead and load up before the game in case things go off the tracks. You'll at least feel a little bit I better. go to the stadium uh, next home game by a different route. I encourage that. Anyway, uh, Madison Social Township, uh, the Friday night block party again, that was uh, before the home game. I didn't have a chance to get down there. By all accounts, went pretty well from what i heard so uh pencil that into your brain for uh, future friday nights before home games we will step aside though our seminoles.com insider tim linnefelt has all the answers or at least some of them and he'll make up what he doesn't know when we continue on front row knolls Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. I don't know if I can take all of it, Keith, but we have changed the walk-up music of our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. We think it's uh, apropos, uh, apropos, given the uh, current circumstances. We say hello to Tim via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, ensuring your future together. Tim, I'm hoping this is a one-week uh, run of said song. How are you, sir? I'm good. Are you guys doing okay over there? Is, is there anything I can do for you? Do you need a hug? It sounds, sounds a hug summer. would be good. Hug would be good, yeah. I'll, I'll take that through the phone line right now. We're good. Been tough, Tim. It's been tough. But, no, let's yeah. – yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, I think there's been, what, 72 hours or more to, to, to rehash this and – I guess for Keith and I, we we didn't get specifically into this. For me, this is more on the defense. I don't I don't know that you can fault the offense a whole lot. I thought Blackman played pretty well, but I'm just kind of curious your initial takeaway in, in light of the result. 
Um, you know, it, it kind of goes back to, you know, kind of what we saw last week, that if Florida State did everything that it, it needed to do just to kind of play up to a reasonable level, that it would probably be fine. But it, it, it just didn't happen that way. I thought both the offense and defense played well at times, but the situational stuff that people like to talk about so much was poor. Uh, you know, Florida State's offense had a tough time in the red zone. Uh, the defense had a great time, more or less, on first and second down, but uh, it, was, it was third downs that, that messed them up. Uh, and in particular, of course, the faithful third and seven at, at the very end of the game uh, that they gave up the run for third and 15. And, and so, you know, like we, we've heard a lot, you can play really well, but if you play situations poorly, you're, you're probably going to lose or at least be in a pretty uncomfortable situation. And I think that's probably what's, what's hurting for State more than anything right now is that it's just a, a, those handful of plays in those sort of crunch time situations that. that Everything went NC State's play. Is it reasonable to expect, Tim, uh, coming out of the Alabama game, we were also disappointed in the special teams, and special teams performed reasonably well. There was emphasis given, and, and during the 21-day period, they got better. Is it wishful thinking to believe that those situational things will get better this week because more attention will be given to them? Uh, I think they'll get better. Uh, you know, it, part of the early season, and, and look, I know nobody wants to get this right now, but part of the early season is identifying you know, what needs to get better in any game situation. I thought the special teams, uh, the, the progress made there was, was really encouraging to me, especially Logan Tyler. I mean, he looked, uh, I thought, really, really good on punch and kickoff, kickoffs. And, and Ricky Aguayo, uh, obviously, you know, they said they would have liked to have had the first one that, that he did miss, but making four field goals was nothing to sneeze at. So, uh, you know, you kind of go from there and, and, and see. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think so. It, it's tough. I mean, all you can do is practice that stuff, right? I mean, you, can, you can practice for and long in practice or simulate it, but those things are really difficult to accurately simulate. I mean, it's hard to get on the practice fields and try to replicate what a third down late in the fourth quarter, having to get a stop, potentially get the ball back. You can't replicate that feeling until you're actually in it. So I think having that experience would be a good thing. And also, look, guys, I do think that maybe NC State's a little bit better than, than we want to give them credit for. I'm not saying they're world leaders or a playoff team or anything like that. But if you go back and look at the numbers in the box score, they probably should have beaten South Carolina, probably should have been ranked by the time that they were uh, they were coming here. Uh, and I don't even want anybody be super shocked if they were to beat Louisville or, uh, or if Clemson a game. I mean, they probably should have beat Clemson last year. So I'm not saying that to make anybody feel better, but, but maybe we should be surprised. But also, in, in my opinion, they played as well as they did. There was a particular play on offense. Uh, it was either third and one or fourth and one uh, when Blackman hands the ball off to Akers. And instead of understanding the situation and trying to go forward to get the yard, he tries to bounce it out. He gets tackled for a loss. We expect that of a freshman. But but where were the upperclassmen on that third and nine on the defensive side of the ball reminding everyone, although they don't huddle, they can holler at each other, look, this is third down. we got to get off the field. That's what I get disappointed in. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And, and that's a difficult one to comment on because, you know, don't know what their what their assignments actually were. I mean, for me, you know, and I, I was certainly under the impression that, that NC State was going to run. I would suspect that a lot of the guys on the team thought NC State was going to run, too, given the you know, the situation, no timeouts and all that. But you don't know what they were told to do. And I'm not saying that to, uh, to criticize the coach either. It was just, you just don't know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was, that was a tough field to follow. I don't think there's any, any doubt about it. I mean, my thought was, when going back and watching the replay of the game, I said, man, I bet the, uh, the, the, the film study for this game, I'm, I'm guessing, was not pleasant uh, when everybody got together and, and, and went over just because 
I mean, as, as a coach, I mean, can you imagine like if you're if you're Jimbo watching that third down? I mean, that's to drive you crazy, right? Uh, to to see that and see you know where some guys ran and, and you know where some guys were, were defending when you know NC State. I have I, I don't know that NC State was planning on getting a first down on that play. You know, they're probably thinking they get a you know a yard or two, uh, run some clock, maybe take a delay, a game penalty, and then punt and give James Blackman a long field. So uh, I, I don't know what the situation was there. I'm, I'm sure it's driving everybody crazy. Uh, you know and if you're a Florida State fan, obviously, I mean, it's a frustrating thing to see. On the injury front, Tim, Jimbo obviously addressed Auden Tate and Matthew Thomas earlier this week. When we did his TV show, he termed Auden's situation a slight AC separation. But I think to the media on Monday, he said day-to-day. My thought, just and purely reading between those lines, is that I'd be surprised if I saw Tate play this week. Thomas maybe is more likely because his is a back kind of spasm issue and it might be feeling good at the moment or it might not be. But that's pure conjecture based completely on the two sets of facts I just laid out. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, man, it starts to, uh, those things add up. Uh, you know, to me, an encouraging development from the receiver standpoint is uh, you look like you have a pretty nice player in George Campbell, right? I uh, made the one play against Alabama that uh, I thought was pretty good and then had the, the really nice pass. Uh, it was a really nice throw by James Blackman, by the way, that hit George Campbell in stride and he can take that you know a little bit further for a 60-yard gain. Uh, having him in the fold is just something that I don't know that any of us were especially counting on early in the year or in preseason. I mean, having him in the fold would be a big deal uh, to kind of help if they thought and take this is any significant amount of time. But, but also, you know, look, I, I think it's fair to say that Nyquan Murray and Keith Gavin have been fairly quiet to start the season. Uh, Nooney especially, you know, everybody was expecting really big things out of him. I think he really embraced those expectations. Uh, you know, he said that he wanted to be, uh, I think his quote was, I want to be that dude, uh, which is great. And he certainly has that ability, but we haven't seen it yet. And if Auden Tate, you know, they're going to need him to do that anyway. Uh, whether or not Auden Tate was on the field, and if he is going to miss any time, then, you know, it really is time for, for Nooney to kind of step up and show you know, what everybody believes he's capable of. How about James Blackman overall? I mean, I mentioned earlier that you, I wouldn't put this on him. I thought he played pretty well. I mean, the guy's a true freshman who hasn't been around that long, and he boy, he does throw a beautiful deep ball. Oh yeah, no, I thought once he uh, once he settled down, he looked a little jittery in that first quarter, uh, missed on a couple throws. Uh, but once he to me, I thought the turning point was uh, it was a third and eight, I want to say, and uh, he got hit and stood in the pocket, got hit, and delivered a, a deep throw to Tate down the left sideline. It was a beautiful, beautiful pass. Tate went up and got it, uh, and they, they moved the chains there. And then from there, for about the really the rest of the, the first half and into the second half, uh, he looked really good. I don't think he threw maybe more than four completions over his next 15 or 20 passes. Uh, looked really nice doing it. Uh, I think you know, his, his deep ball, to me, probably looked a little bit better than, than the short intermediate stuff, uh, just in terms of accuracy and, and maybe confidence. Um and then, uh, yeah, I mean, just as far as the first game goes, I don't know that you could ask for a whole lot more. The, the way I sort of thought about it when I was reflecting on Sunday is that, you know, had he been a little bit better, he could have been the reason that they won. Uh, but I don't think he was the reason that they lost. Does that make sense? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't believe that, that – I mean, I don't believe expectations for, for him could have been – or I'm just trying to say this. I thought he, he had reasonable expectations and probably went even a little bit past him. And if, if everybody around him had played a little bit better, of course, they probably wouldn't that game. Tim, one more quick thing on Blackman. Did, have you heard any feedback? Uh, Jimbo talks about, particularly with first-time starters, get them in and out of the huddle, make the proper calls, get them out of bad plays, all of the pre-snap stuff. Have you gotten any feedback from folks over at the Moore Center about how he scored or how well he did on the pre-snap stuff? 
Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, Keith. If you go back and, and watch the game and just look at the line of scrimmage, I don't know how much pre-snap stuff is actually going on right now. Could be. Uh, Could be. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't much. It did just to my eye just watching it. It doesn't look like a whole lot. And, and given you know his circumstances and how long he's actually been on campus, it wouldn't surprise me if, if they weren't giving him a whole lot of responsibilities at the line of scrimmage. That hasn't, I, I can't say that definitively. It's not something that's come up much, but... Uh, I just was looking at it, you know, when, when you know, if you remember seeing, you know, Christian Ponder or EJ or, or Jameis, I mean, it, it, it took him a few seconds to kind of you know, read things and, and get in and out. You didn't really see that as much on Saturday. All right, Tim, uh, we've got we've got to fire up rapid fire again. But uh, before we get to this week's laundry list, uh, we need to check back and see how you fared one week ago. So uh, listen up. Let's grade Tim Linnefeld. Over under 300 yards passing for James Blackman. Under. Over under two and a half touchdown passes by Dave Blackman. Under. Over under one half sack for Bradley Chubb. Under. Likes the under today. Over under one half sack for Derwin James. Under. Over under 75,000 attendance. Over. Leading rusher for FSU by attempts. Cam Akers, Patrick, or somebody else? Patrick. Blocked kicks allowed by FSU. Over under one half. Under. Turnovers created by the FSU defense. Over under one and a half. I, th- I think NC State's turned it over at least twice. Twelve and a half point spread last I looked. Will FSU cover? No, but I think it'll be close. The actual over under in this game is 51 and a half. So are we going uh, up or down on that? Under. All right. And of course, we also had the uh, the the. Uh, question about the flyover which was basically a push so uh and the captain's question i don't know why we didn't get that in there but the captains were different the captains were different did you notice that i, I tweeted out a picture tim to make sure that you saw that i did no i did i did i almost tweeted back yet but i figured i would i, would I almost take my medicine i almost added you when i when i did that <laughs> but i thought i'll just make it more subtle yeah Derek kelly was not a captain for alabama but he was so we've got all, that might be my best uh, my best seven and five seven and five you're you're still you're, i think he was seven and five earlier this yeah, year yeah yeah i mean you're I wish i've been wrong on some of those your head is above water so we'll give you credit all right keith and i got together and we've got a we long... have labored over this all right are you ready all right, yeah. here we go. Rapid fire as FSU goes to Wake Forest. All right. Number of wins by the Florida State football team this week over under one half. Over. All right, that's all we got. That's it. That's it. All right, as long as we come back with a win from Winston-Salem. We... No, nothing else matters is what we're trying to say. It's all or nothing this week, Tim. It's all or nothing. I feel pretty good about that one. You feel confident. Excellent. Hey, we appreciate it as always, Tim. All right, you got it, guys. He is our Seminoles.com insider. Go to Seminoles.com for the latest and greatest uh, from Florida State Athletics. You know, we've been, uh, I, I feel, almost disproportionately discussing football this year, but we had the GOAT game. Then we, we just had a lot of extenuating cir- circumstances. Now we have 0-2, so uh, we do try to cover every other program as well. We had Coach K on uh, Krikorian not too long ago, so we'll get back into that. You look like you want to say something, as you always do when we finish with Tim. What is it? I, I, I forgot to ask him if he was aware that for the first time in history, Wake and Duke were both 4-0 and in the same season, and whether that, you know, whether there's a seismic shift going on somewhere. I'm sorry. Hopefully not. All right. Uh, I wish there was a seismic shift about to happen in terms of the way they enforce the targeting rule, but uh, I'm 
I'm pretty certain that's not going to be the case. We're going to ask a, an expert, Rogers Redding, National Coordinator of Officials, coming up in a little bit on the show. But uh, immediately when we come back, we'll talk about the big basketball story as the FBI dropped a bomb on college athletics yesterday. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. <laughs> Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. All right, back on Front Row Knowles. We're going to widen the conversation here. We drilled down on uh, Florida State football with Tim. And coming up in our next segment... We'll, uh, I won't say air our grievances, but Rogers Redding will join us and we will discuss college football rules. He's not going to throw any officials under the bus. That's not what they do. We'll try to get some interpretation. And, and we have not asked him to go back and look at specific plays in the FSU-NC State game and make a comment about them. Save for the targeting call. In well, my dialogue, I did ask him about that. But yes, beyond that. Um, here's where I want to go, Keith. So obviously, by virtue of the passion and the frustration and everything that's around Florida State football right now. College athletics is a big deal. And so you look at it right now, the story that breaks yesterday about college basketball is a surprise to nobody that's followed college athletics. I mean, I can remember reading books in the 80s, uh, raw recruits and things like that about, I think it was Chris Mills at Kentucky that was getting 1000 bucks FedEx to him or something like that. So here we are, fast forward three decades later, and the shoe drops, and the reason the, sh- the no pun intended, yeah, yeah, the shoe, no, yeah, yeah. pun intended. <laughs> there was no pun intended, but th- now that I think about it, why not? Uh, this was not the NCA doing. The NCA knew nothing about this, and the NCA. The problem with NCA enforcement is they have no power. They cannot force people to get under oath and talk, so they never get anywhere really. At the end of the day. Or by the time they do, the athletes have no eligibility remaining. They're gone. So how are you going to penalize them? This is the FBI. And these are people wrapped up in it that thought maybe they would be, if they got caught staring at a show cause from the NCA and couldn't work in college athletics for a little while, they didn't contemplate they may be behind bars when all is said and done. So if you don't know the story, basically... Uh, it's it's a it's a scheme that's gone on forever that's making a lot of folks happy. So you have shoe rep. It was Adidas in this in this case that's funneling money uh, to coaches at Adidas schools to steer prospects that way because that's a win for Adidas and the company. It's a win for the coach. It's a win for the player because they get some money. And also there's agents that are getting lined up so that the said player will then sign with the agent. Uh, and the schools, by the way, are benefiting from this, too, because even if they claim they don't know, the reality is they're collecting dollars because they're selling basketball tickets. Their team is making headlines, blah, and blah, blah. they're blah. getting revenue from the shoe company as a result of them so, I mean, adopting there's, them. So, I mean, there's five or six parties in here, and this has been going on forever. Well, yesterday the FBI let out that they've been looking into this for two years, wiretaps, recordings. I mean, they have photos. They have hard evidence they, they of all made, this. They made 10 arrests yesterday. And they named four of them were assistant coaches at four schools. Now, two schools are ACC schools that didn't have assistants arrested. But there's a pretty good trail that Louisville and Miami are involved in this as well. A matter of fact, as you and I are talking, there's reports that Rick Pitino is going to be fired. Tom Jurich, the AD at Louisville, is going to be fired. Which, by the way, is the highest paid athletic director. 
well, in, in school. And Louisville has had a lot of institutional issues involving their foundation. Uh, just on the athletic side, you're talking about a program that hired Bobby Petrino twice. You're talking about Rick Petino had his personal issues, if you want to call them that. Then they had the issue with basically providing hookers for recruits or strippers anyway when they came in on visits, which when I first read all that, I thought, well, if the $100,000 to the Louisville recruit was in all singles, then we definitely can connect the dots and conclude that it was Louisville. <laughs> but the bottom line here is more heads are going to roll. And this, every national article I read yesterday used the phrase tip of the iceberg. And I believe that to be true. The, the issue that brings it home to Florida State, uh, and by the way, Florida State has not been implicated, implicated in any, any way, shape, form, or fashion. They may be at some time in the future, but as we, we are talking, they are not. The issue is the, the high integrity that the ACC has attempted to hold itself to, and in many ways has, having two of their schools, although they weren't specifically named, they named a state and the, the, their enrollment. <laughs> so you had a, a school in Kentucky that had 21,412 kids and a school in Florida that had 5,413, so- making the numbers up. It would be sort of like if it said, yeah, there's, there's two middle-aged dudes who do a one-hour week show on a sports radio on Wednesdays in Tallahassee. in Tallahassee yeah <laughs> figure it out <laughs> so Louisville and Miami not they've not been implicated they've been named and uh, and there's a possibility that other ACC schools could maybe potentially be involved you know you and I uh, over the years doing basketball you know we've had conversations with with Stan Jones and and, and even a limited degree to Leonard talking about how how the recruiting process has changed uh, in in college athletics you you do not recruit via the high school via the high school anymore you recruit so almost exclusively via the AAU and it's been that way for years exactly and and all of the handlers and hanger honors and 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 folks to the point where the NCAA now allows a recruit to name an individual other than a parent other than a relative to actually accompany them on their recruiting visits and then their conversations with schools and that type of thing and the 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 CD underbelly you know has been talked about quietly but now we're we're beginning to see it exposed and I, I'm with you I I don't know that I'm as a dark on this as you might be in our conversations. I don't know that it's uh, as, as terrible just, as you, you might think it might be, but it is not good. Well, it generally is not the good. truth is in the middle, but I'm so jaded with college sports that I would not be surprised that if at the end of the day, every Power 5 school has a trail like this going on to some degree. And I mean every, and that counts the ones duke or whoever and i'm not accusing coach k of anything i'm just saying this is the way it is the reality like i said it's usually in the middle but i I think most of us could easily agree it's half the schools and probably more than that the biggest thing that came out of the early reports that i read that that struck me is one of the 10 individuals that were arrested was an executive vice president of adidas I mean, he, he's – I don't know how Adidas's organizational chart is set up, but by that title, he's the third, fourth, fifth guy in charge, I would think, for a, for a very large company. And he's been arrested for giving out dollars. It, so we're in this – you've got Miami facing this. Uh, you've got Florida right now with nine football players facing 60-plus third-degree felony charges. It, it really – at Florida State has had its issues – it, it, we don't have time to discuss this now, but it goes back to the whole model of college athletics and amateurism to some degree. And uh, 
Again, we can't get into all that right now, but it's a mess. The biggest thing that if you want to talk about the positive of it is that maybe, maybe by some of these things getting uh, the light shown on them, uh, folks will, you know, there's one thing to have the the NCAA uh, offer reforms or make reforms, but it's another. Let me do it this way. It'd be one thing if Kathy came to me and said, you're going on a diet. (laughs) Okay, it starts now. Versus if I said to myself, it's time for me to lose some weight, I need to do this on my own. Maybe, just maybe, there'll be some schools that will start some self-policing and some some drawing back of some of the things that go on uh, for fear of being exposed. We'll see. All right. I will remind you that we have Rogers Redding coming up next segment. But if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to take care of all your power tool needs. A couple of locations to choose from. You may have uh, frequented these uh, of late as you picked up from the storm uh, or for other projects around the house. 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. Targeting. We'll make it clear as mud when we come back and continue here on Front Row Knowles. It was a beautiful day. Sun beat down. I had the radio on. I was driving. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and Keith with you as Florida State gets set to take on Wake Forest on the road this week. We're really pleased as we go back to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline to say hello to Rogers Redding, the CFO National Coordinator of Football Officials. He has joined us previously. He is uh, formerly a long-time on-field official, uh, other duties at this point, but a rules expert for sure. And so first, uh, Rogers, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Good morning. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, and and we appreciate it. And uh, I jokingly told you, I'm sure you hear from uh, areas where their fans were frustrated, and that's just the nature of it. You've been in officiating your whole life, so you know it, it's not new territory for you. But no, no, there, there are no surprises along those lines. That's- no, no, there's not. So Florida State, uh, NC State last week, NC State wins. They were they were a significant underdog, and there were several calls that in the minds of Florida State folks should have gone the other way or maybe no calls that weren't called and i don't know if, if you did you watch that game first of all or did you go back and look at it, just the targeting play that i asked you about initially because i don't want to put you on the screen. i uh i did not watch the whole game I, I went back and picked up i always always kind of am on the lookout for particular plays to go back and look at that sort of thing so okay uh, I, all right, well that, but I did see a few plays. Okay, good deal. And and before I ask you specifically about a, a, a targeting call there, what what is your role as national coordinator of officials? Because officials report up through their conferences. So kind of for our listeners' sake, give us an overview of what your role is. Yeah, what I do is work with those coordinators, uh, particularly Division One, but also twos and threes on a lesser, to a lesser extent, in terms of um, getting consistency around uh, rules around mechanics, that is, how the, how the officials work the game, uh, and just try to get some consistency so that, so that conferences are doing the officiating as best they can. We do a lot of training at the national level, and we, have, we do a lot of video work 
at the national level. Uh, also, a, a lot of video around replay, uh, a lot of interpretations of the rules, uh, play situations, those kinds of things. So, uh, and then I also do a lot of my work is is with the media. Uh, I do some work with ESPN. Uh, again, we make a a media fan uh, video every couple of weeks to put out through the NCAA. And so it's a, it's a variety of things. I don't have direct responsibility for the officials. Those are, as you observe, are in the conferences, and the conference coordinators uh, do that work. And I did that for, for a few years at the SEC. But at my level now, I'm, I'm working with those coordinators. Okay, so thank you for setting the the, the landscape there for, for our listeners. Sure. So in the Florida State game, there was a targeting call, uh, and there's sort of two parts. One is that it wasn't called on field, and we'll get to that secondarily. But I think the targeting rule has been misunderstood since it's been in play, and I know we had you on previously. Uh, there's a lot of people that just think it has to be helmet-to-helmet contact, which is not true. So I, I know there's three or four things, and you can recite them, uh, like the Pledge of Allegiance, I'm sure. So, so hit me with the definition of targeting. Okay, there are actually two targeting fouls. Uh, one has to do with the defenseless players, okay? And so what the rule says, and, and that means, uh, there's a list, but that means like a like you'd expect, you know, a receiver going up for a ball or a, a punt receiver is about to catch a kick or a blind player that gets a blindside block, he doesn't see it. When the, the quarterback is protected, he's a passer, so he's he's vulnerable. So. Players that are defenseless, what the rule says is that it is, it is illegal to make forcible contact with such a player in the head or neck area. It doesn't have to be with a head, it might be with a forearm, and it has to be accompanied by some element of targeting, what we call element of targeting, such as a launch or a thrust from a crouch or, or directly, you know, deliberately leading with the, the head or the elbow or the shoulder. And so it has to be those three elements, an element of targeting, forcible contact to the head or neck area, and a defenseless player. So that's one targeting foul. The other one has to be with the helmet, what's called the crown of the helmet foul. And it doesn't matter whether the player that receives that blow is defenseless or not, and it doesn't matter where that, what body part that hits. So it might be crown of the helmet to the, to the side, let's say. Again, it has to be some in a launch or a crouch. That one is, is intended to protect the deliverer of the blow because if, if, the, if the crown of the helmet is used, then the chances are very high that that head's going to be driven down between the shoulders and you can see cervical spinal injury. So the, the defenseless player one is mainly to protect the, the receiver of the blow and the, and the crown of the helmet foul is mainly to protect the deliverer of the blow. Now, there's a little overlap, obviously, in those two, but that's, that's the intent and the purpose of those rules. Now, Rogers, in both of those cases, obviously in a perfect world, the flag would be thrown on the field. But in both of those targeting cases, the review booth can buzz down and, and ask for a little bit of time to review, even if there's not been a flag fl- thrown. Is that correct? That is correct. The, the, the targeting rule has evolved over time, as we have seen how, you know, how it goes. The, 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 committee, the rules committee that made the rule is very concerned about player safety and all the, the research now being done on on concussions and, and on and on the helmet uh, injuries to the to the spine and those sorts of things. And so the rule has evolved over time. And at the very beginning, we were only uh, reviewing plays, targeting fouls uh, that that seemed to, that the replay officials seemed to want to take another look at. 
very quickly, we the Rules Committee said, let's review every targeting foul. So now when a targeting foul is made, it is always reviewed. And then last year, and in that case, the role of the replay official was to look at really, was there really forcible contact to the head or neck area, let's say in the case of a defensive player. Last year, the Rules Committee said, let's, let's give replay more authority here. And so there are sort of two parts of the new rule around replay. One is, and this, I say new, new in 2016, it hasn't changed for this year. But in 2016, the committee said, let's do two things. One is to, um, excuse me, to have the, have the replay official review the entire play. That is, was the player defenseless? In, that, in the case of the of the, of the uh, defenseless player foul, was there a, an element of targeting, such as a launch? Was there forcible contact to the head or neck area? And so effectively, the replay official is, is, is re-officiating the play, and the same would be true for the crown of the helmet foul. Was it really used the crown of the helmet, or was it, say, the face mask? And the reason for that is that these things happen very fast, and the official on the field has to process a lot of stuff in a, in, a, in a play that happens in much, much less than a second. And so the speed of the game and the speed of the, of the, of the hits made the committee say, let's, we've got replay, let's use it. And so the, so the first part of the rule, new rule last year, was to allow the replay official to review the entire play. We were also discovering that occasionally there would be a, a foul, a targeting foul on the field that the officials on the field just missed. They're going to miss things. And, and sometimes... Let's say the play is about to end, and 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 there's there's more focus on the on the ball carrier, and there may be a blindside block in another part of the field that they don't see, and so the committee said let's let's also have the replay official actually create a targeting foul by stopping the game. If he sees a play, every play is reviewed as we all know, even though the game isn't stopped obviously for every play, and so if the replay official sees a play that looks like it it is a targeting foul. Again, in the interest of the safety of the players, the game is stopped by the replay official to take a look at that. And, and so we have, and in the case, I guess in the case of the Florida State game, that was one that was actually created by the, by the replay booth. Now, let's go to that particular play because I know you've looked at it. Uh, Jacob Pugh uh, was rushing. It wasn't the quarterback. It was, a, it was a halfback pass, but he's rushing the passer, so he qualifies as a defensive player, defenseless player. Uh, Pugh puts his hands up to try to keep the ball from coming out, and his right hand comes down on the face mask of the of the uh, youngster that has thrown the ball. When I, when I went okay. back and looked at it, and again, we don't have time, and, and this is not to be argumentative, but the last part of that, you know, forcible, I didn't think he hit him that hard. I didn't think it was forcible. And I didn't think there was a launch or any other part of it. He was he was running at him, put his hands up, his hand came down, hit him on the face mask. Um, I would not have called that. What do you think? Well, I'm not going to get into to, to second guessing the call. I mean, the call was made on the field. Uh, I mean, the call was made by the replay booth, and the replay booth has you know has, has their judgment to make on that. And, and I and I prefer not to get into. And, and I respect that you know, talking about the, the play. I just want to lay out what the rule is, what they're looking for. Uh, that I, you know, that's not to say they're going to always err on the side of caution. Though, I mean, one of the parts of the rule is. That is that is not well known and not that it when, be well when known in doubt throw the flag. <laughs> when in question, it's a foul, and, and, right. and so that that's that. And again, you know, everything comes back to the to the safety of the player. And and, and there is a school of thought 
that's out there that that says, well, uh, you know, you're going too far in protecting the safety of the and, and and that's that's kind of easy to say in the abstract. But the fact is that that football is a is a is a high speed collision sport. There are going to be injuries, and the challenge that the that the rules committee has, and then the challenge that the officials have in implementing the rules that the committee passes, is that there's always going to be this sort of standing tension between the game itself, which is a high speed collision sport on the one hand, and the safety of the players on the other hand. And so there's always going to be that element of of, of uh, how I how I see this may depend on on how you know what my what my what my preferences are. You know, uh, David Brooks said that that partisanship shapes the reality you choose to see, and that is so true in football. It's true in any part of life, but it. It certainly is true in football. Let me let me jump in with two quick points to, to finish up the targeting because I have other questions I want to ask. So in the case of this replay review, was that buzzed down from the booth at the stadium or is that from Greensboro where, where the ACC is located? It comes from the stadium. They're, they're, uh, the ACC and some of the other conferences, the Southeastern is doing this, the Big 12 is doing this. I guess all of them are now, all the, all the Power Five anyway. Um, there is a collaborative process where the, the, the video center at the conference office is, is in, in communication with the field, but the, but the decision to stop is made by the, by the replay booth at the stadium, and the decision okay. as what the ruling is is also made by the replay official at the stadium, and, and that's, in, that, that's in collaboration with the, the replay officials who are also in the, the video center. Okay, and the second thing, this just started last year, but do you have data or numbers on how many targeting calls have been called by replay officials as compared to on-field? Because that was the first time I've seen it. Yes, I did. Have, in fact, I thought you might ask that, so I pulled the numbers up. This year, so far, in FBS, there have been 23, uh, 23 fouls, targeting fouls that were initiated by the replay booth, and that's in a total of 286 games. So about not not quite a little less than one one game in ten has the replay official uh, replay the replay official initiating the targeting battle. Okay, and that's good data and perspective that we don't always have yeah. in the heat of the moment. Sure. I want I want to move on, uh, and I didn't give you a heads up on this, but there's been an excessive celebration rule for several years now. Uh, that's an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, and it basically has to do with showboating on your way into the end zone. So. I don't know that you saw the Florida State play, and I understand that you're not going to comment on it specifically, but NC State had a 70-yard touchdown where the receiver was free for the last 30 yards and dove from the two. The ball was at the one in his hand. He was about at the two when he took off and somersaulted into the end zone. Now, the penalty was called, and it was enforced on the kickoff. What are the circumstances where that can actually negate the touchdown, and what's the date on how frequently that's happening? Uh, yeah, I can talk about that. I, I, I'm not that particular one because I didn't see that one. But um, about, uh, well, let me give you a little history. This is probably longer than, than you wanted to know about. But a little history on this. It used to be that that the uh, that the penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct. We really don't use the word celebration, but there there are a number of things that are sort of automatics that are unsportsmanlike conduct and diving into the end zone when you're not you know when you're not diving to miss a, to to avoid a tackler is one of them. And, and for many years, it was, it was the touchdown counted and the penalty was enforced on the try or the kickoff. And it's been some time now, but many years ago, I guess five or six years ago or so, the committee said, you know, if, if it happens while the ball 
That is, if the ball is, if the runner, let's say he's at the 15-yard line and he goes into a goose step on his way into the end zone, then throw the flag and penalize that just like any other foul when the ball is line, like a holding or clipping or anything else. And so, uh, so that rule has been in place now for a few years. What 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 we what is said is of uh, the philosophy that the committee said. Look, if it's close to being in the end zone, if it's if it's close to the goal line, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, it, you know, I, you could argue that, and and replay doesn't get in on this. The flashback that was it actually in the end zone when he made the move or, or out of the end zone, and so it may be that in, in the case you're talking about, again, I haven't seen the play, but it may in the case you're talking about that the official felt like well. This is close enough to go line, and we'll let it go. But it's not I, reviewable I, is what you're also saying. It is not reviewable. And, and, not when, reviewable and when you say let it go, you mean let it go in terms of wiping the touchdown? Throw, yeah, not throw the flag. Or throw the flag, but but let the touchdown count. Okay. And then enforce the penalty on the kickoff or okay. the extra point, depending on what they want to do. But again, I, my, my philosophy about that is I, I have a little bit of their philosophy. That I, I think, and, and this is because the, the – um, uh, the unsportsmanlike foul is sort of creeping back into our game a little bit, and and I think we be, need to be a little bit stricter than we probably are. On, but that's just you know, that's just my take on it. But I, I think it's a good rule, and and it's one of those things that it's it, like like every foul, but this one in particular, the 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 matter is entirely in the hands of the players. I mean, if the players do what they're supposed to do, then then, then you're not going to have a problem. Well, we said that earlier in the show. When Florida State was winning games 51-12, to 12, we weren't complaining about officiating anywhere around here. Right. So when you, when you play toe-to-toe with somebody or they play toe-to-toe with you, it brings a lot of calls into question. I, I'll let you go. Uh, you know, the one point, and I'm sure you hear this, and I, I don't want to get back too much into targeting, but it just seems like it's not consistently enforced, i.e., you know, I could point to several plays where Florida State's quarterback had a helmet into his chest, and there was time to review it. And it feels like the flag—well, it doesn't feel like the flag didn't come out. And that's just the FSU example. So I, I don't know if you feel that same frustration or what kind of effort there is to make it more consistent because subjectivity is involved. You know, one of the things that, that we are that we are focusing more on because we see it more than we used to. It used to be when it used to be within the last two three years there were many more. Um, a defenseless player type targeting fouls. Then there were crown of the helmet, like the type kind you're talking about right here, where a player just drives his headgear right into the sternum of the of the player. And what we're seeing, we're, we're calling more of those, uh, more more of the crown of the helmet foul. I think it's because we we just they they seem to be uh, gaining in in, in uh, number, uh, and so we see more of those. We we have not gotten as proficient on those as we have the the other and, and part of the reason is it's a little bit of a of a of a dilemma because you see ball carriers ducking their head to try to make more yardage all the time. Are we going to call that a targeting foul? No, I don't think we're there yet. And so it, it's a it's a harder foul to call in some respects. It's easier to see, but then you got you got to make the judgment. Okay, was there a launch? Was there a crash? Was there some other than just the, the crown of the helmet? To the body. I mean, there's got to be something more than that, and so that's why that's why that one is. Uh, it's it's beginning to be more called, but it hasn't been called as much in the last two or three years as I've seen it this year. Rogers, we appreciate your uh, your insight, your expertise, your willingness to come on with us. Uh, we could we could go up and down the rule book with you, but for the for the sake of your time, ours and our listeners' lives, we won't. But uh, I'll, I'll probably reach out to you again at some point. Hopefully not this year, though. I'll try to save it for next year. 
Well, that'd be fun. I'm always glad to talk with you, and, and I appreciate your interest in, in having these things talked about. So thank you. All right, thank you very much, Rogers Redding, CFO, National Coordinator of Officials on the Earl Bacon Agency Hotline. Keith, we'll have just a couple of minutes to react to that when we finish up here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Hopefully that was good perspective for our listeners uh, to, to hear the, the details on why they call things certain ways. But he did, he did finish with an interesting note. He did. We were talking about hitting with the crown of the helmet. And, and as a former player, I will tell you, that is the one area that is most controllable because we were taught to hit what you can see, right? which means hit with your face mask. When you duck your head down, you're doing that intentionally. But what he said was, if you hit with the crown of the helmet, i.e. you're rushing the quarterback and you are chub and you're hitting Blackman, if you don't have that thrust or launch, you can hit him with the crown of the helmet. So if chub is just lumbering in, and nails Blackman in the sternum with the top of his helmet. And happens to weigh twice as much as Blackman. Exactly, but doesn't thrust or launch. That's not a foul. That's got to change. That's got to change. The other thing, if you hit with the crown of your helmet, whether you thrust or launch, it should be a foul because that's easily controllable by putting your daggum helmet into your shoulder pads and hitting with your face mask. And regarding the excessive celebration, I, I'm one for let the guys have fun. But if you're going to have the rule, uh, and every other penalty, it's when in doubt, call a foul. But yet, if you celebrate and it's not quite at the goal line, let it go. If you celebrate, throw the flag. Yeah. Why have the rule? Exactly. Or put an exact yard line in there, which I thought there was the goal line. If you do it before the goal line or to get into anyway, we're out of time. Well, one other thing. We're out remember, of time. Remember the Pew thing? Yes. Just like the official on the field, when in doubt, throw the flag. If you're the replay official, when in doubt, call the call. Yeah. And a whole side note, they're ruining the game with all the stoppages. It was a business. Oh, it was horrible. Week, but we're out of time. Fortunately, we won't drag on for three hours and forty minutes. We'll talk to you again next week, everybody here on Front Row Knowles. Yeah,